What's going on, everybody? This is your host, Sean Robinson IV. Uh, we are back after about a month break. I do want to apologize for this episode featuring a friend of mine, Fabrice Sapolsky. Uh, the audio on this episode is definitely not up to par. Uh, we did not realize that there was a fan on Fabrice's side uh, going on during the audio. Uh, but he does offer some great insight, and I uh, ask that you do still please listen. Also, there were some issues with our recording software, so... The interview does get cut off near the, uh, near the end without a proper outro, uh, but it is uh, the, the, the most of the interview. Uh, but yes, still uh, listen to the podcast episode if you so please, and I hope you enjoy and find some good value. I'll catch you guys next time. Welcome to Beyond the Fourth Wall of Writing with your host, John Robinson IV. Here we smash walls, demolish writer's block, and learn how to harness the true power of storytelling. Let's get started. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Beyond the Fourth Wall of Writing podcast. I am your host, John Robinson IV, and today I'm here talking with Fabrice Sapolsky. How's it going? Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> so um, so Fabrice actually, so I actually met Fabrice uh, a few years ago, even though I know I remember you said you don't remember because it was it was a good more than a few 2019, years. right? Yeah, like 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was it was a MomoCon thing, and I was I was uh, you know, moderating. Um, and then this year, I got the opportunity to to mod again for for um, MomoCon, which is which was kind of like a great return. You know what I mean? Like we had 2019, and the pandemic hit. We were all kind of all out of it. Then, like when things were slowly getting back in, I also, you know, I, you know, I was tabling and stuff at panels uh, or at MomoCon as well. But then this year, I had the opportunity to actually, um, you know, to moderate again. So then I was like, I was happy to see, of course, on my list. I was like, oh, it's crazy. So I got to say, what's up? We had some good conversation. At the, at the so con. much had changed between 2019 right. and now. <laughs> right. Yeah. My life has changed completely. Yeah, yeah. Like there's been some drastic, some drastic things. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, first of all, do you want to talk about what you're doing in 2019, and then like for, versus to what you're doing like today? Oh wow. Um, okay, let me A brief overview. <laughs> pull my memories back together. Um, so in 2019, um, I had a big job. I was working as a senior editor for Dreamwits, which is a company that originated in France but has a, an office in Los Angeles. I was living in California. Um, I joined their company in uh, November of 2017. So I was almost two years at the job already when, uh, when I, I made this uh, appearance at MobileCon 2019 where I was invited. Um, as a guest, and um, and uh, the idea of creating my own company was kind of like growing in the back of my mind. It actually had has been growing in the back of my mind since 2017. And at the time, I was in New York, um, where I'm now again. Um, right, yeah. Um, and uh, and I, my plans were kind of postponed by the fact that I was hired by. Him. So um, I think MomoCon was in May, so it was in May, so it was in May of 2019, and a month later, uh, in June 2019, this is where I finally created my company. 
competence in this fish for competence. But initially, it was not to be a publisher. Initially, my company was there to simply be a home for the creator-owned comics and IPs that I created. Um, right. And also to kind of like create a little a little stash of money from what I was making at shows because even though I was working full time for a publishing company, I never stopped touring. I was touring less during my those years, but I, I still was touring maybe because I love being at shows. Um, and you can kind of like kind of like get the pulse of the market uh, of the trends, uh, and also like I'm a people. I like to be among other people. And um, and so it was the design at the time when I created There's Where Comics was like, okay, I'll have this company, it will be a side. And then in 2020, out of nowhere, uh, January 31st of uh, 2020, um, I was let go from the roads uh, without any explanation. Just, just kind of like like one of those just had no idea it was coming. Just you know. it's like it's like you show up on the Friday morning um, and uh, about two hours in your day, your supervisor says, "Hey, can we get to the boss's office?" And then fifteen minutes later, you're out. Um, and so I, it was interesting because coming from another country where this the dynamics that the, are not the same between an employer and an employee. And I've been on both sides. Like, I've been an employer before. It's not my first company, but there's where comics like my fifth or sixth company. Right. I had a lot of companies back in my home country in France. Um, but, but even as an employer, and I had to, sometimes I had to let go of employees. Sometimes I, but I had never been let go from anything. And, um, and so it was kind of like a shock of, of how fast it happens, and how uh, and, and how your ego is bruised in, in a very short uh, period of time. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. um, so you you're like, okay, well, I was on the top of my game yesterday, and now I'm just a piece of crap, and uh, and that's fine. Like the interesting thing is that. After it happened, the pandemic hit. <laughs> right, yeah. So all of a sudden, there were millions of people like, um, and um, and I tried, I tried so hard to find work at another company, but a when you are an immigrant, b when you are a minority, and c when you're uh, old. I'm old. <laughs> I'm going to turn 53 in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, according to the, so, to the job market, I don't. I don't think it's really old. But I think the job market like tries to say that it's old, right? Look, the thing is that everywhere I went, they would find a good reason to turn me Right. Yeah. Like, oh, I mean, you have a lot of experience. You know how to do all these things and all, but. We'd like something. We'd, uh, we'd like to go in the right direction. Of course, they can't tell it to my face. They can't say, "Hey, we want someone younger. We want someone that is, that is not as versed in the business as you are." Because we want to, we want to be able to control them, or or we want to get a grip on our employees and feel that you've been an entrepreneur before. You, you had past lives that is going. To, they are going to haunt us. Um, right, they right. can't say that to your face, but it's discrimination. Uh, and there's another.
I'd love to hear that when you're an editor and your first language is not English. Um, exactly. Yeah. Case, and people are like, I'm, I've been disputed against because people think that, oh, but you know, it's not American. I understand. I'm like, I, can we curse on that podcast? Uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> okay, so I was like, bitch. Because honestly, <laughs> honestly uh, I've been in the U.S. for 18 years. I've been working in an English-speaking environment for 20 um, right. And I've been exactly. an editor for many companies. And I've always written English, everything that I do. Like every piece of script that I've ever written was in English. I never wrote a single line of script in French. As a matter of fact, last year I was pitching a project to a French company, and um, they said, "Like we're we're very disturbed. Can you can you write in French?" I was like, "No, <laughs> I don't know. I write comics in English. This is how it comes to me." So it's it's it, it was very disturbing to be on the job market and people who were like you know casting a a lot of doubt on my abilities to think despite my experience. Right. So after a few months of that and 400 and plus plus 400 uh, resumes sent, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it myself. And the side gig became the main gig. And uh, right. yep. yes, there's a lot of insecurities, financial insecurities that, that come with that. The, the good thing uh, in my misfortune was that during the pandemic, an unemployment was extended. So I was able to launch the company and keep my employment for a few months, which helped a lot. And and then in the summer of 2020, um, my um, my friend TC Harris and myself launched a book of wars on Kickstarter, uh, which which came from my great frustration of the George Floyd situation as an ally and a minority myself, I was extremely pissed. I was like, I don't, how do I answer that? And I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to demonstrations because protest because when you are an immigrant and you're on a green card or a piece of status, status I'm on the green card status, but when you're on green card status, they, they tell you when you, uh, when, when you sign up, Tell you like you were guessing, we can kick you out any time. Right. And yeah. um and you know, it was under a, another administration that was not very favorable to immigrants back in the day, yeah, uh, in the summer of twenty twenty. Uh, I wouldn't take any risks, and so I was very frustrated because I wanted to do something. My friend TC, um, who's been a black blogger like for a very long time. Um, said to me, um, you uh, you have to you have to do what you know, and it's um, it's comics. So if you wanted to comics, let's yeah. it. And that became Justin Black, and this little miracle that brought um, forty black creators in a single book for sixteen stories. The noir genre um, has been put together in less than six months, um, and so far has been sold to over 
5,000 happy customers. Right, right. That's awesome. So, That's awesome. Yeah, and it, it really marks the the, birth, the real birth, the second birth of Shakespeare Comics as a publisher because I realized when I had the book in my hand, it was early 2021, it was like, okay, there's no way back. Now I'm a publisher. And even though I, I'm still freelancing for other companies, like I'm still working for companies like the Blaze Comics, doing a lot of translation work for them. Right. Of yeah. And I'm drawing all some stories, like I'm drawing a story for a German company. Um, so I'm still doing some freelance work, but but the bulk of my day is Square Comics. I wake up in the morning at 5 a.m. It's Square Comics. When I go to bed at 10, 10 30 at night, it's Square Comics. So it's just like a lot of things. In the, in the past four years, the company has grown from just a single the embryo of an idea to uh, a, a company that that is about. It's, we're near one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of business, and um, and um, we will have released in twenty twenty three close to twenty five books. So it's coming from zero three years ago. It's just like that's, that's a huge jump. That's a huge jump. Yes, and tried stuff. We explored a lot of things. We did a magazine. We we're trying to. We're trying to. Be ourselves, like be the voice of immigrants and minorities. That is right. Clearly, the purpose, and that's why our uh, our slogan is "Comics from the rest of us." Um, but on top of that, the idea behind Fair Square Comics is also to uh, promote creators' rights, right? Which is yeah. also something that is very dear to my heart because. Talking about the bruised before, but like, yeah, uh, I've been I've been hurt and bruised by other publishing companies that have right. taken advantage of my ideas and my talents. Before. So it is clear that at Fair Square Comics, it's another case. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, on behalf of creators, like I, I think other creators will probably agree with me when I would say thank you for creating a company like that because you ever understand like these we. Like a lot of us, when we're, when we're younger, we look at we look at the big companies like at first, but like we learn very quickly. But at first, we look at the big companies like that's the goal. Like the goal is to write Spider Man, right? That's that's the the young before we know what's going on uh, thought process. Um, but then when you get in there, uh, or once you not when you get in there, yeah. but once you start making comics and you see you pull. The I mean, I've been there. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then you being behind, being not just being behind, but being behind the scenes and being there. Like even me, I I haven't been behind the scenes, but I I know like would I want to write a Marvel book? Sure, but like it's like like I explained before when we were at the convention. Like, that is not like my dream, you know. Um, and, 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 and it dumbfounds people who are aspiring to write comics who haven't done it yet. Haven't gone through the process, like haven't gone through the gauntlet of making a book. You know what I mean? Um, it, it kind of surprises them when they go when you say that because they're like, "Well, I thought that was the end goal. The end goal is Marvel, right? Or the end goal is DC. The end goal is to write it, Batman." It, or you, you know, know, this is very <laughs> funny because uh, I did not see myself as a writer until it happened. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, because. 
And the thing is, in my secret origins, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just a guy who has a hard time accepting being said no to. Yeah. So when I was 17, I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a, 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 a comic artist. That was the thing. And my mother discouraged me. And she did a very good job at doing that. So <laughs> I ended up studying history and major history um, in college, which I didn't do anything with except like maybe um, have a, a taste for historical fiction. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I incorporate in a lot of my story. Uh, but um, I didn't see myself as a writer. I wanted to be an artist. And so it was it was so much of a disappointment that after three, four years studying history, I became a graphic designer and I and I taught myself how to design magazines and books and whatever. Uh, right, because exactly. it was the closest thing to being an artist that I could think of and that I could do and that and that I could make a living at. Because, real quick, there, there was um I, I believe I remember seeing something about an, a, a, a French co- a comic-based magazine that you did way, way back. Yes, yes. Um, so that, that came in later, actually way later. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I started my work as a graphic designer in uh, 1993. That was, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a long time ago. That's 30, <laughs> yeah. uh, 30 years ago. I mean, actually, technically, I started in 1991. Mm-hmm. But I, I consider them my real start um, in uh, as a graphic designer, like doing only that was nineteen ninety four, um, and I was a full time graphic designer, and uh, and then I, I worked to learn uh, the ropes and to get experience for five years until I created my company in nineteen ninety eight to launch a uh, comic book magazine in comics. Um, right. And, and again, yeah. I, I always wanted to write for the press. I wanted to, I wanted to write and design at the same time. It became like kind of a, a habit. I'm still, right. reading, I'm still writing and designing at the same time. Um, that's why I'm lettering and writing my scripts at the same time. <laughs> and even when I'm, and I'm even when I'm translating for other companies, I request to do lettering on top of the translation because I'm translating and lettering it. So I'm, I'm, I'm used to doing two, three things at once. Um, it's, it's been always the case like, since I started. Uh, I was like, um, so I, 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 start, I started uh, Comic Box and, and it was like, okay, I love comics, I love press. I want to do a news magazine about comics. Not a fan magazine. I want to do a news magazine about, about, about American comics, not even French comics. It was only American comics. That's, uh, how, that's, that's how connected I was to this country. Um, right, right. And it was like my, it was my, like my thing. And um, it started in 1998. It was really painful. It was a, it was the learning curve, but it was like a very uh, difficult experience and I had two young kids and it was like it was very challenging um, and after three years of that um, I had to give up because um, a big company named Panini 
uh, decided to kill us. Uh, mm. They launched a competitor, and uh, they were losing money every month, but they were hurting us so much that at one point they had to to right. out and say, "Well, that's 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 that it's over." But uh, Comic Box was a quality magazine, um, and um, and uh, we brought it back two years later. Three years ago, sorry, we stopped in 2001 as a monthly and we relaunched in 2005 as a bi-monthly. Uh-huh. And, uh, and the magazine kept being in print up until 2022. So that's uh, a bad. Yeah. Uh, but I, I stepped down. I was the editor in chief, of course, from the beginning mm-hmm. up until 2011. And um, and the thing that happened was that after after I got my Marvel group, I was not the same anymore. I couldn't. There was something I wouldn't say broken, but there was something really different in me. As in, can you be judge and party? Right. Right. I, not like the idea of being the journalist during the day and the comic book writer at night. Mm. Yes, in a way, it's very superheroic, like the moonlighting as a as a comic book writer in your uh, in your right. job. Uh, <laughs> yes. Clark Kent, um, but uh, but I it didn't work for me. Like I I don't I don't do things like that. Like I'm not. Passing anything, so I told my team, "I'm going to do other things to take care of Comic Con," and they did. Get both going out, and that's the way it should be. Like when you create mm-hmm. something, and exactly. um, yeah. you pass back, and, and, and you know, people are just keep doing the good, the good thing without you. Yeah. Um, and I never had any ego with it. It was not like. When you create something, the most beautiful thing is to let it go. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that actually American comics got. Because uh, in the early days of our industry, when uh, people like Stanley or, or Kirby or or uh, Linger or all these greats, uh, they were creating stuff, um, they didn't have the time to do it. Right so sometimes they would have to. Uh, give their creation like to someone else to yeah exactly for, for to be kept in, in, in publication. Right, right. So, and, um, yes. No, I, was, I was just gonna say like because you do so many things, like you know, you're the graphic designing, the writing, the the lettering, the editing, yeah. like, you know, all, all those different things. Like at some point in time, this is this is something I struggle with myself, right? Like and I, I've got to figure out what do I need to pass on to somebody else to do? <laughs> like, what what things can I do? I need to cut off in order for me to keep it, you know, to keep it all moving. Um, which I know that's probably something that that a lot of creators who are looking to get into comics are probably thinking about. They're probably kind of on the on the side of, um, all right, when it comes to the creative team and when it comes to the process, what are the things I need to be doing, and what are the things that other people should be doing, and how do I? How do I divvy that out? You know what I mean? Um, right. And where it keeps interesting is where I, I started being serious about drawing. Yeah. And um, and it was in 
2013, 2014. So it was like about 10 years ago. Right. And I literally started from scratch. Like, mm-hmm. I thought, I, I mean, that was kind of like scribbling when I was a kid. Right. Yeah, and yeah. with my <laughs> brother, that we were selling school with comic book stories we created. Uh, but uh, it was never really serious. And mm-hmm. when I hit 40, it was like, okay, now I'm going to do something about it because that's the final frontier. That's the thing that you always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the beautiful thing is that having all this experience and knowing all these incredible creators and incredible artists, um, I got a lot of guidance. and I got a lot of... Uh, they were very generous. Like, I'm, I'm very lucky with that. Uh, is that I built relationships with a lot of great artists, and every at, at every show I was like asking first, like, how do you do this? And how do you do this? And and I sucked for many years as an artist, and until recently it became clear that I had found my voice. When right. you're an artist, you need to find your voice. You need to find your voice because there's so much. And yes, there's the technicity, and it's I would say that it's ninety five percent work and five percent talent to be an artist. That those five percent talent. It's, it's like a sourdough starter, if you know, bread. You know, right, yeah. <laughs> you need to nurture that and nothing. And um, so you need to be consistent, you need to draw every day, you need to, and, and it's the same thing for the writing. You need to write mm-hmm. all the time. You need to yeah. keep your ideas flowing. You need to learn how to control your flow, to master it, to not, not rush anything. Some stories will take a week to write. Some stories will take 10 years to write. Right. Yeah. There's, there's not a single answer to how do you make a comic. There's not a single answer to how do you a comic or how do you steal your career. But what's interesting in the process is, and that's, I'm a curious person at heart. And, uh, and what I love is every every step led me somewhere. Like it's like I've been bouncing from uh, position to position to position, skill to skill to skill. Picking up all these now I can, I can, yes, now I can, I can pretty much uh, make a comic all by myself. But the mm-hmm. reason why I'm not doing it is that it would ruin the magic. Right, yeah, yeah. Comics by design are collaborative effort. We are collaborative. Exactly. And yeah, um, it's I, I don't like the them. idea of being alone at the helm with no mm-hmm. one watching me mm-hmm. and me not watching anyone. Right, right. You know, when when you're in a creative team, you have to keep each other in check. Um, it's a, it's a great recipe uh, to keep your ego down, but it's also a great way to kill bad ideas. So, I, so I actually have a, so I have, I have a couple of questions. I have I want to ask a question just about writing, and then I want to ask and then I want to get in a question about writing specifically for. With comics, right? So the first question I want to ask about because you mentioned something earlier, you know about about you know what people do, like you know the, the skill, the skill thing, um, the the ninety five or I'm sorry, you said uh, the ninety five percent of work, ninety five percent work, five percent talent. There you go, five percent talent. Um, so what would you say to somebody who is like somebody comes because I, I I actually get this myself too sometimes. But somebody comes up and they are not a writer at all. Um, and you know, maybe they obviously they've written in school or something like, you know, they've written things for school. And so they have some, but in terms of like narrative storytelling, they're not a writer at all, but they want to tell stories. Um, 
what do you think the advice you would what do you think your advice to them would be for that person who's like brand new and they and they and they want to they say hey, I, I want to write comics what do I do just from a writing perspective first I'm I'm really a bad example I'm really <laughs> a bad I'm really a bad example because everything that I did in my career I learned all by myself it was a trial it was just like let me figure this out and and I and I'm I work very hard. Um, to crack the code of every skill. But I never went to any course. I, I, I never read any books on storytelling. It was just, let me look. There's something that I really love about comics is that they're, I wouldn't say they're easy, but they're accessible. And uh, people can retro-engineer them. And the retro-engineering thing is is something that is very very important. Like I would read a comic book that I really love, and I would like to manage it. How would be written? How the notes would be passed from the artist to the writer to the artist? How they would interpret it, and then I would connect the dots with interviews of said creators. Uh, mm-hmm. Fine, um, but for people, people need sometimes a curriculum. They need, they need to go to school, and there's plenty of schools that help that writing comics. You have a bunch of free templates on, on the internet that circulate. So look at how Grant Morrison is writing. Look at how right. look at how all the, the great like uh, uh, Chris Claremont is writing. How how uh, Tom King is writing. Uh, how I mean, you know, there are there are plenty of scripts that you can find, and that will help you understand how people work. It's not a single way of doing it. There, there, there are a million ways of writing a script. You have to find a way. And, and writing comics is is writing in a specific language with different accents. Right. Okay. Okay. As in you have to make yourself understood by the other person on the team that is going to control this. Exactly. You have to make yourself understood by the other person on the team that is going to oversee this and, and rewrite everything, i.e. editor. Um, and same for the color artist. People need to understand you. So, and it's something like, I was, if I have one quality when I write, it's like, I have a very synthetic uh, mind. Like when I when I see, I have the ability to sum it up like very quickly. I see a situation, I see a text, and I'm like, okay, this is this is your your one line pitch. So for me, it was like it became that part came easy. The, the part where I'm okay, I can convey that information in a, in a manner that you understand it. My scripts are very easy to read for that. Um, but I still have to learn everything else. You know, there's no shortcuts for that. You need to learn. You need to learn. Right. And I had an incredible master and the person of Dickie Hine. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I co-wrote Spider-Man Noir with. And I literally, it was, it was really, I was learning everything. It was, right. it was my yeah. first, it was my first writing job, professional writing job. So I, I was learning everything. I thought I knew. I didn't know. I didn't know shit. 
it was like Dave, Dave Stitch really in that library. Um, and you have the impression that things are very easy to get, but he's also a hard um, And it was, it was so beautiful to, to see how sentences were forming in his head and he would like translate that on paper. And I guess the, the, the biggest skill that you need when you're a writer is the ability to express yourself and convey it to another person on the page. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, yeah. It, you basically, you, you're, you're writing for your creative team. Um, you're writing like you're, it doesn't necessarily have to be super. You know, uh, the formality isn't the same as like writing a movie script or, or a TV right, script, right? Right. right like right. your your goal. Uh, but, but, is but then you also have to be clear enough and not be stupid. I remember yeah, some yeah. creators uh, said to me, "Okay, I'm going to send you a script, but don't look at the dialogue; it's vomit. Uh-oh. <laughs> vomit. Right. Uh, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> um, all right. Uh, and there's this kind of dance in our industry that I don't think is healthy where when you are pitching a project um, you're pitching something that doesn't exist yet. Right, yeah. And so a lot, a lot of writers became very good at marketing themselves and they're selling something but then when you get the script it's not what you get and then there's a feeling of disappointment. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> and and, and as an editor, I was like, well, your pitch is really great. How come I don't get that energy in the final product? Um, right. Yeah. Because some people are very good at pitching and some people are better at writing and vice versa. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a very interesting dynamic because when you're a writer, usually you're the one who are bearer of the project. Um, not that artists can't, they can, but usually it's the yeah. writer. Right, right. Um, and um, and so they, they pitch things and some some of them develop that skill, that marketing skill, that they know how to sell themselves. Right. Yeah. So what's the so when a writer comes to you and uh, say say uh, if a writer were to come to you and say Hey, I've got this idea, and it's about this this super team, and they've got you know one one guy can got the powers of teleportation, another guy has electricity, but the electricity isn't isn't pulled from the grid; it's pulled from the elemental god of whatever you know. Like, and they're hitting you with all these ideas. What do you do? You think that that's like the proper way to approach a book, or do you think no. or what? <laughs> so, so well, the first thing that I say, if you come with a superhero book to my company, I will say. Right. Okay. Sorry. Gotcha. <laughs> I don't. I don't do that. But um, let me put it this way: um, an idea is nothing. Everybody can have an idea. Execution is what makes a good creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. if you have a very simple idea or the skeleton of an idea, but you're showing your talent. Executed in a way that no one has been able to execute the same before. You're aware. Right, right. And that, the, and problem, the problem is that 
due to how society has shifted in the world, um, Hollywood kind of like uh, exported to comics their good and their bad side. And the dictatorship of the one by pitch, the dictatorship of the high concept or the IP based story kind of like wins it. Mm-hmm. Because for me, the good comic is two things. First, emotion. And second, emotion. And mm-hmm. third, story and characters. Um, and characters versus story. Um, that's something that Japanese creators understood from day one. The reason why manga is kicking everyone's ass is because they understood that the concept is just a concept. You, you take one piece, you have a very brilliant concept, a very simple concept, but very brilliant. But then you have a thousand volumes. Make it last on the concept? No. So the characters, it's on the emotion that you get when you read those adventures. Right. Yeah, that, that, that's something that, um, like, yeah, anime and manga really, it baffles me. And I use it as a study because they can, like, anime can do the goofiest things, like the most outrageous, goofiest oh, yeah. things. And they can make it emotional. Like I'll, I'll use Jujutsu Kaisen for for as an example. For, it's very new anime. For for example, for a moment, because there's a scene where these two characters bond over the kind of girl that the other character likes, and the kind of girl that the other character likes is very typical. Like it's nothing special. It's like a very typical thing. But and it's it's so it's goofy. It's like purposefully goofy, right? Um, but again, but, you're touching upon something that is I I said before. Right, right, exactly. But yeah, so they bond over this thing, and they become like brothers. And like when, and then when they get into the serious situation, like they look at each other like brothers because they bonded over this very silly thing. You know what I mean? Um, And the and the girl doesn't matter. I think like they they jokingly say, "Oh, yeah, like a girl that looks like Jennifer Lawrence or something like that." I don't know. (laughs) And um, and yeah, it's, it's just so over the top goofy. But it, it's yeah. the fact that they can still bring it home to you, like they, they can they can make it resonate with you in, 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 a, in a way, you know, like yeah. kind of kind of the ways the two the two rocks resonate with you in that movie. Yeah. Everything's where and once. It, like if you look at a series like Full Metal Alchemist, oh yeah, huge success. Okay, yeah. Um, if it was not for the love between these two brothers, oh yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's the it's what. So thinking about so. On the surface, people may go, "Oh, it's so cool, the alchemy, and look at the the metal arm and the." But, but at the end of the day, never about that. It was two brothers who were trying to bring their mom back, failed, failed whole. They failed and they failed so badly that it was traumatic. You yeah, I mean? and and one of them is paying the price every time they try. Exactly, and, and that's that's the key. That's that's the thing. Um, and. I'm surprised that after, I mean, manga is not a new thing in the US. It's been like 25 years since manga exploded on the American scene. But I've seen it firsthand in Europe because manga started being huge in the early 80s. 
Um, but here, when he came later, in the 90s, um, but it's been so long, and American publishers still don't get it. I still get pitches that sound and, and, and look like the 90s. Yeah. This is wrong. Still don't get it. Still don't get that the audience today wants stories that they can connect. They don't yeah. care about twenty pages of action. They don't care. Yeah, I mean, because those those books are those books, they're, they're they're just not they're not engaging. You have nothing to connect to. Like Anything. maybe on the surface, you may say, "Oh, you know, this art is great," and look at. The, the 50 millionth suit that Iron Man brought up, you know what I mean? But it's kind of like, what am I really connecting with? You know, even even Jason, I love Jason Aaron's writing, I really do. But even him on Avengers after a while, it got bored because he, because it was Avengers, you know? It wasn't that he wasn't, he wasn't writing it well, he's a great writer, but he was writing Avengers, and Avengers by design is a team book with a cast of, of ridiculous, like it's hard to connect with anybody because you're, you're writing this cast of all these characters and you have to bring constant action. Like that's part of the formula versus his that's, other- That's the thing that on the, on the opposite side of the spectrum that brought the X-Men to the sunlight. You know? Right, yeah, yeah. Um, the X-Men were always an action book, but you could connect with the characters because they looked like everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they and, and they they had a way of focusing too, like uh, Claremont, especially. He had a way of focusing, like like he would have entire issues that was just Kitty Pride. You know, I, I still remember the Kitty Pride issue. Not, not not just not her first issue, but one of her very early issues. I still remember when she was in the stuck in the manger room by herself, and the whole issue was just her. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they have issues like that. They have they have the issue X Men number three hundred three. Which is the one where Ileana Rasputin dies, and the whole issue was her. Um, you know, she dies from the, the and, all, and all the issues with Storm and with Rogue and with like right. It would spotlight on the characters so that you get to know them. Exactly, exactly. And then they have like these very heartfelt moments, like Jubilee talking to. I can't remember who she was talking to in that issue, but she's. I think it was Storm actually. Jubilee talking to Storm and asking. Basically dealing with the grief of you know their loved one dying, you know, uh, like like stuff like that. That's emotion, right? Like that's the stuff that we can connect with, you know. And nowadays, comics, the, the big two, anyways, when it comes to the big team books, it, we don't get as much connection. I'm not saying that none of them do. Some of them, some of them find. Well, more. let me let me throw this right now before it comes. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the big two that, by the way, are not that big. The biggest right. publisher in America of graphic novels is India. Um, uh, oh yeah, yeah. And, and, and and Marvel and DC are nanites compared to these Anyhow, um, these two companies that have dominated a segment of the market for a very long time, uh, they also are owned by bigger corporations. They don't have to make money. They don't care. They're R&D, there's a food creator that is working for these people to keep making toys and merchandise and and Right, exactly. We're not in the same business. Like, I am in the business of creating stories and sharing it. These companies are in the business of perpetuating their brands. It's a very different business. Not that it's a judgment on my part, it's just reality. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
and of course, like the editors are doing what they can, but at the end of the day, Batman will always be there. Spider-Man will always be there. And they will always get back to the previous status quo at one point because having the characters progress, evolve, age, die, it would not be good for business on their part, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so we, 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 we I, I, I want to get back to what you said about like emotion and, and perception. Oh, yeah. um, last year I wrote a book called Lindbergh. And uh, Lady Bird, when people see Lady Bird, and she, she has a helmet that moves, she, she can be mistaken for a superhero. And I, I sometimes you know, oh, it's a superhero book uh, with this female character, and she's a teen. And, and I say, no, it's not a superhero book. And people are like a little disturbed when they read it because they're like, it's, it's not really an action fight scene in there. Yes, because right, right. was not the purpose. Purpose for you is to meet these characters, fall in love with them, and and and, get, and you're never bored. But you're not going to have any of the two ladybirds punching anyone for the sake of punching someone. Right, and, yeah. uh, and people are a little oh, that's actually no, like you, it's just that. There are, there's a folklore that has been carried on by these big companies and people expect to find it at other companies. But the reality is that if you're an independent publisher, like mean, that's where comics is and many of them are, why would you pay someone else's comic? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that unfortunately, too many publishers are just trying to get the crumbs of those big publishers, and, and they're narrowing the spectrum of what you can publish. Um, that's uh, just an opinion. Um, I like comics. I like to publish comics that are different from right. Usually, usually comics that other companies will pass on. It's a good reason for each particular I would reject some because they're simply not there professionally. Right. Quality's not there. But but if you have the quality, and, and I signed a few books recently that quality was almost there, but then I offered the creators to help them um, refine the books so that they become even better. Um, and I'm not saying because I'm like a, a magician or anything and I can make books better. Uh, I, I can't. I just can make them and I can help make them in a way that I can sell. Right. Yeah. If you see somebody with the, with the, so if somebody comes to see you with, with a book that they say, hey, here's my character's powers, then obviously that may not be the person that you can help in that direction. At least not yet. Uh, they might need to, Go reevaluate what what a story is, you know. But if you have somebody who who knows the the emotional punchlines to try to hit on, and maybe they just need a little bit of help to get there, then maybe that's the kind of you know. Exactly, and I, I I just signed a book that's exactly like that. There's a couple of writers. Um, they, they came to me with this project, which deals with uh, the loss of a parent or both parents in this case, uh, but they're far from their home country. 
And of course, this is something that speaks to me because I'm an immigrant. But right. I also think that it's it's a situation where everyone in their life can ask themselves, like, what if I'm on vacation with my parents? Die? What am I going to do? How am I going to react? And all of a sudden, this thing interests me. I'm like, all right, you can judge me. So I thought that their, their, their graphic novel was really great. They lacked a couple of scenes that would show a little more emotional sides of the character. Um, and um, this is what we're working on right now. So I signed the book and I'm working with them to help getting into that direction. A lot of writers, it's not that they can't, it's just sometimes they, they're not ready. To, to crack that uh, shell, right? And, yeah, and let the heart speak. You know, and mm-hmm. the, the job of an editor is to deliver the minds and the hearts of readers. Right. It's yeah. Like a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, because it's 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 creating a comic. It's creating a baby. It takes yeah. you a long time. Sometimes a year. Sometimes two. Sometimes more. Um, but what you what you're getting, the baby that you're getting, is something that will live with you all the life. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and that I like that metaphor because it, it's really like having children. <laughs> and I have children. I have three, so I know what I'm talking. Right. About. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, and, and I like I, I like that you kind of help cultivate because especially if you see somebody who has the potential and they're and they're like you know seventy five percent of the way there, like that kind of cultivation helps too because sometimes you know like the, the, the world is is rough. It's a, it's a it's a rough world yeah. out there. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. um, and and you may again most people are there figure out you know I'll say the. The two smaller nanites <laughs> that think they're the big two. Uh, <laughs> um, and they, they're thinking about those companies, and, and but those companies will take a, a quick look at your work, and whether you're ninety nine percent of the way or, or way there or two percent of the way there, they'll just turn it down and not even give you a you know they won't even give you any feedback. You know what I mean? Um, because because that's that's something that whoever is watching this needs to understand. Right. Companies are not interested in capitalism. Exactly. Yeah. They're interested in your arms, your fingers, actually, um, <laughs> and 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 your head to bring out ideas. For them, you're just a another bag of ideas um, that they can exploit. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they will own everything. Um, right. So the creative process at these companies is usually very frustrating. It's very frustrating because you're not in control. You have you have multiple people who have are going to boost their opinion, give you notes, make you change that sometimes you don't agree with. Um, but you'll have to comply because they own everything. Right. And, uh, and that's the sad part. And that's what I was telling you. Like they're they're not in the business of static stories. It's not important. There was there was a, a an old saying that I heard from Marvel executives back in the day. He said like, "Well, uh, give the X Men to a donkey, you will sell." Mm-hmm. And they're right. A donkey, a monkey, whatever. Um, whoever writes one of their series, you will sell exactly the same mm-hmm. 
because they created they created an ecosystem where people are zombies. They're like they're buying and they complain. Like they're like, oh, it's not what it used to be. It's not like this, like that. They keep buying. Yeah, it's definitely by anyway. And 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 then the, the retailers keep buying them instead of taking a look at all the other independent. Uh, um, publishers that are on the scene and are offering something different. And I'm not saying that all the retailers are the same. There are amazing retailers. Like I, We're working with a lot of amazing retailers. So not everyone is the same, but you still have a huge chunk of retailers that are resisting um, new ideas, new books, new concepts. Uh, and I'm not even talking about regular bookstores, which are even more eager to reject Right. Yeah. Simply don't understand the graphic novel language. Yeah. So it's it's really a tough market. It's really a tough market. I mean, there's still there's still a world out there that doesn't consider comics to be a real art Books. form. Yeah, they, they don't consider it to be real. But I, 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 I've, I've had arguments with the post office about that before. Just trying to send my, my stuff out and, you know, media mail and they, you know, they Well, let me, tell you, let me tell you what my answer has been. Right. <laughs> it's all about perception. The post office, there's no going there. They're right, just yeah. rules. <laughs> so the rules say two things. One, it cannot be any publicity. Or ads in the books. So you just talk to him. The second thing, your book should look like book. Right. That's why Fair Square Comics is not doing any staples. Right. All our books are uh, square bound. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, that way, if the post office opens it, <laughs> Yep. But I mean, the post. So the post office is, a, is just kind of an example of like a world, like because, like I said, like they're they're just an entity, right? They they have no real. But but even but if they see a textbook, they're going to say it's a book, right? But if they yeah. see a comic book, their their perception might be. And that's just an example of the world, like like uh, Bill Mar, I think one of the bills. It was Mar. Two years ago, was commenting on on Stan Lee when he when he passed, and he was he he had like some kind of snotty comment about. Why did you guys? Why is the world up in an uproar about this guy who made basically cartoons for kids? No, that's 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 how he referred to comics, you know. And um, not well, knowing this this guy is an exception, though. right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. It, it's, it's just like not understanding the like the art, like the, or, or or not not appreciating the art that, that, that these books are. I mean, they're they're books, that just like a, a novel would be a, a, a book. You know what I mean? Um, and, and just, right, exactly, exactly, and, and it's just it's just the, the perception of comics that people beat down on. And but if you're a comic reader, you know that when you go to the comic shop, you act, they say they're for kids. Like people who don't know, they say, "Oh, their comics are for kids." But you know, when you go into a comic shop, you need to look for a kid section because if you're not careful and you go to a random area in a comic shop and pick up a random book, you may get something that's very not kid friendly. You know, you know what I mean? John, that- to me, that is an old debate. Right, yeah. For, for people that are over 40 or 50. Yeah, because, yeah. Because honestly, uh, young, younger audiences, they, they don't have the kind of like reservations. They kind of the same kind of thing. Like, look at a Barnes & Noble. You look at a Barnes & Noble and you go to the comic section. 
you will find 80% of them. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day when manga was not accepted, they considered uh, the, the retailers to say, oh, I don't want that at all. This is shit. This is shit. This is badly drawn. All the characters look the same. Mm-hmm. But despite their resistance, people kept asking for them. Right. And, yeah. you know, and the market, I would say this, and especially for young writers or young creators or listeners, you will experience a lot of resistance mm-hmm. by professionals. Myself included, sometimes I'm biased. But you will, will anchor a lot of resistance. Keep pushing. Because if you believe in your idea, that Stanley was saying that, he was saying that if you believe in your idea and everybody's trying to talk, talk you out of it, that's a good reason for doing it. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and it's exactly that. Like, if you feel in your heart that your story needs to exist, then you'll find a way to perfect it. You'll find a way to make it right. Find a way to connect. Um, you need to be more stubborn than everybody else. You need to want to be more than everybody else. Right. And, and look, I came to this country eight years ago. I was I was not even 45. I was 44. Okay? I was closer to 45, but I was 44. Yeah. <laughs> um, you don't move out of your own country. At that age, if you're not going to believe in what you get, right? You right. Yeah. So I moved here because because of the love, the love for American comics, and also the love for this industry, not just the media. There's so many friends that I have here, and and I was like, there's no there's no doubt in my mind that I will never, I can I cannot fail. I cannot fail. I don't have the right to fail. Mm-hmm. Because if I fail, I'm a failure, and it's like I, I wasted my whole life. I only have one life. I am not going to fail. And sometimes one book is going to be well received. Some, sometimes another one is going to be completely ignored. That's life. Yeah. That's life. yeah. Last year, I released a book called Classified the Black Box. A lot of people didn't want to read it. And then you go to a convention like I did like three weeks ago, and it's the only book I sell. Right. <laughs> Which I, I've been meaning to get that one, by the way. <laughs> and uh, but in some other some some other conventions, some other parts of the country, who are crazy about intertwined. Some people are crazy about uh, Lady Bird. The interesting thing about being a creator is not to let yourself put in one box. I would hate that, and and especially since I built. My whole career, all these skills that I'm collecting that came, um, I refuse to be put in any box. And I refuse that any of the creators that I work with are put in any box. Like, mm-hmm. the same way Chris Priest refuses to just be the black writer. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's 100% accurate. He's 100% right. He is a writer that uh-huh. has black. Exactly. Why would yeah. it only be? The guy where you said, like, oh, you know what? We have some black characters. Let's give it to Christ. No. Yeah. He is so right. Like, as a creator, you're not a color. You're not a taste. You're not a language. Mm-hmm. That's you're something uh, that's, that's something people hit me with uh, initially. I've got, I got hit with. Uh, so my book, 
on the cover, you've seen it, it's, it's very multicultural. Um, and a lot of people assume that my main characters would be black and all the characters, not, not just the main character, they really assume that all the, most of the characters would be black, you know, and it's, and, you know, it's very, and I've, I've gotten some, I've gotten beat up a little bit in the, in, in the within the black community, actually, about yeah. it, you know, um, and then, and, and on the I'm, not, I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, got, I've gotten I've gotten beat up a little bit. Not not like not like too bad, but like a little bit of you know why isn't this character this or why is this character that or why is she writing you know um, I've I've been to conventions where again even though the book's multicultural the the Capricorn character happens to be white I had a, I had a Capricorn come to the table and people always wanted to see their character of their sign and they saw she saw it was a white lady and she was expressed her. She's a black lady. She she, she expressed expressed her disdain for that, and why isn't she black? You know, um, and it, and, it's, and it's just kind of a like man, like I I never like really argued too much about it with people, but I, I did talk amongst other writer friends in smaller circles about the frustration, and um and of course they they did understand it, and it, it came down to like man, write write what write what you feel, you know, and that in that particular book. I felt that a lot of the so a lot of the cultural uh, things that surround the zodiac there, there's a lot of very Eastern cultural influences um, yeah. that, that's around, and that, and, not, and I'm not talking about the Chinese. Zodiac. I'm talking about the Western, the West, you know, the quote unquote Western zodiac is still very heavily Eastern influenced. You know what I mean? Um, right. Uh, so I would I would say something about what you said, which is very important. Yeah. Um, the first thing that people need to understand is that all your characters are parties. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So whatever they look like, it, they're a part of it. That's one. Second thing is, I don't like the term diversity because diversity has been used and overused and over overused in many ways that are not created. I prefer the term reality. Right. When, yeah. <laughs> when you walk down the streets, the reality hits you in the face. We live in a diverse world. Right. This is where we live. And I live in New York. Like I live in New York in a place where like when I walk down the streets, I hear like twenty different languages with people that talk to each other. It, 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 it kills me reading uh it, it kills me reading nineties novels. Uh that are based in Chicago and I have there's not one black character in there and I'm just like Right. <laughs> just, and then Chicago. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well look, yes, well I, I have other pet peeves regarding the Jewish community because these also always were presented the same right. way. Uh, but I would I would quote Woody Allen. He was saying like that all these when he was asked like uh, what was there was nothing Jewish in his characters like all my characters are Jewish. The priests? Yes, all my characters are Jewish. <laughs> all the characters are a part of it. So all your characters are black even if they don't look black. Because they are a part of each other. And, right. and it's just, and, it, and it's something that people need to understand. We live in reality. So the characters that you're writing are rooted in reality. You're not living in an utopia where everyone is the same. Right, exactly. And even I find, like, I find that even if you go to Africa, if you go to Africa, yes, yeah. of course, you have the majority of people are black, but you have Asians, you have white, you have Arabs, you have a lot of different shades. It's mm-hmm. not all like all societies are leaning towards the same kind of life next, um, mm-hmm. with different, of course, different percentages. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but especially in the U.S., 
it's ridiculous. Now that leads me to another thing that I that I really that's really important to me and mentioned it earlier, which is um, creators' rights. And like I, I've seen all these, and I, and I of course I have a lot of friends that I know who are in the in the milestone program. But a part of me is strange. It, it it makes me uncomfortable because they've been selected to a program. They're going to write. Most of them wrote a short story or drew a short story. Not all of them will get the chance to, to have a long career. It's what you said earlier about the friend. Yeah, yeah, Rob. Then nothing. Uh, but all this content and all this writing owned by Right, exactly. Yeah, like it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? It's, it's an opportunity because it gets you out there, but at the same time, it's like this company just takes takes me, takes my stuff, and then I may not even get anything on the yeah. other end. It's know? a trap. And let me let me be able to I have a Marvel grade. Not, not everyone has a Marvel grade. I have a Marvel grade. As in being useful, I didn't right. get any opportunities from it. None. Like, did I, did I get offered another book at Marvel? Did I get offered another book at DC? Did I get offered another book anywhere else? No. I had to turn to create our own, take all the risk myself, create my own stuff. Because right. if I wanted to keep being in this industry, that was the only option that was presented. Right. And, yeah. and the thing is that the sooner you realize that when you're working for these companies, you're just a guest at the table, you might never be invited again. The sooner you realize that, the sooner you can focus on what's really important, which is keeping your rights, creating your own future, your own legacy, and let leave those dreams behind. Because your dreams and your creations are more important than anything else. Right. And yeah. talent cannot be duplicated. The best way to prove it is to look at the vitality of independent comics. All these creator-owned comics around. I was having this conversation with my friend yeah. yesterday. And I, and I said to him, look, a few months ago, I decided to stop drawing willingly Marvel and DC characters. Or any IP-owned, like a, a company-owned character. Right, right. I decided to consciously stop presenting them in my portfolio, creating pre-made art with those characters. Will and I think my friend said, "You're crazy. You're missing <laughs> business opportunities by not drawing this character." I said, "No, I am true to what I believe in, and I believe that characters should be their creators. Right, they should yeah. be." Fairly compensated, and they should get they should enjoy the super delivery. And and I said that that means that it opens new possibilities. Like for example, I can draw Spot, I can draw Zachary I can draw the Rocketeer, I can draw all these independently owned characters mm-hmm. that don't belong to a corporation but to an individual. Right. Yeah. And it's funny because it also leads me to another thing that I love to talk about is is how people's opinion are shaped by these 
corporations that I was talking about. Like mm. uh, when people come to the table, it's like, oh, so you're a creator, so you're a self-publisher. Mm. Let me break it down for you. Is someone who only publishes his own work or their own work? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm a publisher, period, because I'm yes, I'm publishing my stuff, but I'm also publishing thousands of other books that I did not have anything to do with. Right, right. Because I'm betting on them. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving them. I choose to support them. I choose to stand back and, and push them to front. Right. I'm a publisher. That's passion for the industry. And that's passion, passion for the industry and passion for the creators. Yes. Right, right. Exactly. And, and, and real stories, because the type of stories you look for, like, that's, that's, again, that's why I love that you say that, like, the type of stories you're looking for are things that evoke emotion. If it's not evoking emotion, yeah. then you're not, you're not doing anything. You know what I mean? Like, you, you gotta, that, that's why it's always so surprising. It, it shouldn't be. <laughs> it, should, it shouldn't be surprising to, to pick up a, a Marvel book and, and find some emotion in there. Well, but, I, um, <laughs> we, we have this book, we have this book called The Utopia Legends. Uh-huh. That has been brought to us by Brian Valenza, he's a color artist. Oh yeah, um, yeah. who's working for everybody, every company to right. <laughs> Marvel, DC, uh, everyone. Um, so there was Brian Valenza and Henry Bajas, and I remember when Henry called me and said, uh, "So I have this project, but it's hard to sell." Like. A lot of publishers are turning it down because it's an anthology and, uh, and it's by Indonesian creators. And I'm like, done. It was right. Right. So, like, it took me two minutes. I was in my car coming out of a supermarket when, when it was back when I was in California. Um, and, uh, and I said to him, I said, like, look, you show me what it is. I want to see samples, of course, and I want to read that. But on principle, the fact that it's uh, it's challenging. It's an additional dose of motivation. And uh, yeah. we did issue one, we did issue two. We unfortunately had to cancel issue three because of, of low pre-orders from the stores. But the trade with everything comes out uh, in two weeks. Uh, it's going to be available to everybody late July. And um, it's 208 pages. It's extremely right, yeah. Because it showcases creators that would never have a chance. Because they come from another another part of the world, um, and everyone there is a minority. And I'm just like so proud. I'm just so proud. Like these stories are exceptional. They're awesome. They're greatly written, greatly drawn. They have a heart. It's just like, and they're very different from each other. You have all all, all the genres from horror to Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember you posted about that. Oh, yeah, I remember it, that. It's been massively underordered by retailers. But you know what? I overprinted, and I'm going to tour every show the next 
Yep. Oh yeah, people are definitely going to because so these these companies the, or retailers. I'm, I'm not going to blame retailers as, as a whole. I don't know. I don't well, know. Well, they're gatekeepers. Let's go right. Right. They are. They're gatekeepers yeah. because uh, because they they are the the person that are making the choice for the consumer. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Store, if there's none in the store, but but thankfully we have ways to trap that. Right. One, if you are a regular at a comic store and you have access to the internet, you can look at what's out there and mm-hmm. ask your comic store to order the book, um, and they will do it. They will do it for you. They will not do it if we ask, but they will do it if you ask because you're right. because you're just. Um, right, exactly. So, and the public never likes. Never. Like, if the audience doesn't like the book, they don't look at it. Right, it yeah. Happens, happens to me all the time. Sometimes we have a book, don't like it. People don't look mm-hmm. at it. I believe it's a good book. If you don't, I'm not going to force you to buy it. Here's the thing. Your choice. There, these, these retailers are underestimating their, their audience based on what they... Wait, so they're, they're, they're thinking about the usual books, right? And what their usual audience is, is looking at. And they're not thinking about that same, some of the people in there's that same audience that are buying the other books that they usually order might also want to buy that book, but they would never know because they, they don't even try anything different. You know what I mean? But that's um, also why I love to go to shows and we're doing, we're doing over 20 shows a year, like 27. Uh, it's closer to 30. Oh, magic shows. <laughs> Um, because because we get immediate reactions from the public. We see the books. Mm-hmm. Either they buy or they don't. Mm-hmm. If we know, we know immediately, immediately what's going to be successful. There are books that are going to sell at every show, like mm-hmm. Intertwined, Orange and Black, What's in the Homes, mm-hmm. Beyond Tokyo. These books are selling. And there are books that are going to be surprised at much of and mm-hmm. they, they disappoint me. That's another one. That's that's the nature of the job that we do. You were you were making some uh, gambles, right. blind, yep. <laughs> and you hope that you stick the landing. Right. Yeah, I, I, I guarantee you though. Like, like for example, that that book being on a table at a convention. I guarantee you, you're going to have people that walk by. And then stop and turn back around and go for that book and ask the question, why haven't I ever seen this in the store before? Oh, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, I have a funny story. I was, I was at uh, Heroes Con in July. Uh, oh, that's the one. I, I was at a different convention. I, I wanted to go to that one. But uh, yeah. And so, so I was at that convention and a retailer comes to the table and said, I never heard of you. I have distributed anywhere. And I said, like, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, <laughs> look. It's, all I know, all I know, is that with the amount of books that you've had already in in, in three in three years, like, it's only going to explode more from there. Like, it's only it's only going to get. Actually, more. no. Actually, no. Because <laughs> I decided that next year is going to be less book because less book. Sorry, because honestly, right, right. I'm I'm almost a one man band, so right. It's it's. 
it's a little. Well, well, maybe, maybe, maybe not the same amount of books per year. But what, what I'm thinking is, even if you're not putting out this, like the same volume as like you know the past three years, I'm, I'm thinking that more people are more eyes are getting on on this stuff. Well. Right, right. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's exponential. Right, and, and, and there's no shelf name on the book. Right, right. Yeah. Again, like one of the best sellers is is Norse and Black. I think it was one of the it was the first book that we released. And mm-hmm. the second biggest seller is Intertwined, which is a book that had many other lives. It was first published at Dynamite. It was first a Kickstarter, then published at Dynamite. Then we got our rights back, and it's now published at Pittsburgh Comic. So it's like it's a book that had past lives, and it keeps mm-hmm. being as the second best-selling book in the company. It's like okay, there's something there, right? right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and I hope you like. I I, I, I know the. The, the Jewish daughter book just came out, and I hope yeah, I hope the stories, yeah. Like, right? I, I oh yeah, I'm, I'm actually, there. I'm actually, fingers crossed. I'm, I'm actually trying to get three coming day twenty twenty four. So nice. Last year, last year I, I, I pitched. Uh, wasn't the host to three coming down, and I didn't get it. Uh, mm-hmm. As a last publisher, uh, this year we're going to try intertwine. The new story, uh, and hopefully get more chances. Of right, it. right, yeah, um, yeah. Because the, the free comic book day is actually decided by a pool of retailers. It's not decided by uh, by Diamond. So Diamond uh-huh. is presenting uh, is presenting the, the publishers and their projects to the retailers, but the retailers are making decisions. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. We have no control. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, we'll we'll see more of that. But no, I think I, that's that's what I mean. I think it's gonna. I think it's only gonna continue to grow. It's only gonna continue to get bigger. It's only gonna continue to make I more mean, sales. I really, I, thank you. I, I really hope. I really hope so. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. It would. It would be a nice. It was. It would be a nice um, reward for all the work that we're putting and all the travels. Uh, my partner and I went through when we were doing shows. Oh, believe me, I'd rather go to the movies or do something else. Or, <laughs> but uh, but but this is the life that I chose. And and again, right. I'm not going to do it fifty percent. I'm doing it a thousand percent. Right, right. And and I think that's something that a lot of creators need to realize too. When you want to do. I, when you want to write and you, you decide, don't get me wrong. I, I think that there are levels of writing. I think I think that there's people who maybe they want to write casually and maybe they just want to post stuff on you know on fanfic.com sometimes and that's fine as well. But I, but I, but I think when you make the conscious decision, like okay, I want to write and I want to publish books and I want people to enjoy them, then I think that that's the point in time that you need to sit down and, and, and really put your heart into it. That means like maybe instead of maybe instead of um, I don't know. What, what is something somebody might do? Sitting around and playing League of Legends or something online. Maybe instead of doing that, you're now cutting off a couple of League of Legends days to play or to, to, to do some writing. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, and That's and why you, 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 need to, you need to do it every day. It's, you need a lot of discipline. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a camp like not the army, but you right. still need to have a lot of discipline. Like, you need to be able to sit down and, and formulate your ideas and make sure that get from point A to point. And, and, and put, and put the time in, put the time, allow yourself to time. Also. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a. I have a. There's a friend of mine who uh, baffles me. He says, uh, "I want to. I want to. I want to write stories. I want to. He wants to do movie scripts and, and comics. You know." I'm like, "Great, do it." He goes, "Well, I'm scared to do it because I think it's. I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna write it and it's gonna suck." And I'm like. Well, sure. That's maybe fine. your first one might suck. <laughs> You're right. Maybe your maybe, maybe first one. <laughs> your first ten are gonna suck. But right. in yeah. the end, you get better at it. You need to. It's, it's, you need to practice. You know, it's like sports. Like right. Exactly. You have one Michael Jordan every century. Most of the others have to work really hard to get where they want to be. Right. So, exactly. Yeah, You're not going to be Michael software. Jordan, and you still want a ball. You, you have a chance if you work hard. Right, right. And I, I see a lot of people, especially conventions and stuff like, you know, going to conventions and being on panels. Oh, yeah. Talk to creators. I see them all the time. They, 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 want to, they want to do the thing, and they want to, they want to, they almost want to, I don't want to say they want to jump the gun, but they're really excited about doing things, which is it's great. And I, and I, and I, they should be doing the thing, but, but it's also like, the rush, the rushing, you know, it's like, get some stories out, yes, but like, but like really marinate on this process, like don't skip, like, you know, if, you, if, if you've never written before, write some short stories, don't skip the process, exactly. maybe read and Scott William, McLeod, and, you know. And we live in a, in a very interesting world where it's easier to be published than before. Like, yeah, um, right. anthologies that are welcoming projects on the Mm-hmm. You can you can be the next one. You can be the next one. You can be the next ten, and you will you will practice. You'll practice. Yeah, yeah. It will help you refine your craft. And and, and I'm not saying that those people who are publishing anthologies are not uh, they don't have the uh, a certain level of expectation, but they'll they'll be a little more welcoming than other companies that really need to sell. Um, books in stores. It's a completely different uh, system. So, right. Um, right. So it's it's a great opportunity to learn. It's great. And also, like, create. We as professional creators, we're accessible. Come to shows. Like, I'm never, I'm never going to turn you down if you need advice. If you need the portfolio, you are always ready to give it to you. Just be ready for the truth. Right, of course. Yeah. I'm not gonna miss my words and, and, and it's it can be brutal. But that's how you if you cannot handle that, then don't have way things. But that's what that's what people that's what people need to hear though. That's what people I, I think more often than not people need to hear what they need to work on versus, you know, just uh, I, there's a I think I, I actually think I mentioned this to you before, but there's a thing called toxic positivity that people do. Where they, where they yeah, I don't remember that, but I like, I like the content. <laughs> I, 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 how, you, uh, how you formulate that. Right, right. The toxic positivity is where people congratulate and, and they clap, and which you should. Don't get me wrong. You should, you should do that to an extent. But, but then there's the, the other part of it never comes. The other part where, where you give critical analysis and you give, you give honesty and truth and, hey, you need to work on it. I, I am never – I've had – Several. I'm not even like all the way out there yet, and I've had people come to me because they see my work or whatever, and they and they'll come and show me something, and I and I have to gauge where they're at. Like, are you serious about this, or is it just a hobby? Do you want to be? Fresh? And then as soon as they tell me I'm serious, I want to be a professional, then I then my next words are okay. But are you ready for my honest words on this thing? 
You know what I mean? I'm not going to be rude, but I'm going to be honest. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I think I think that a lot of people aren't. Uh, and don't get me wrong. I won't. I won't ever go and offer people my thoughts without them asking, because <laughs> that that can be kind of you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, but, if, no, but if somebody's genuinely coming to me and ask, and, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure that we have we have set the boundaries up. Okay, this is going to be honest with me. Um, then yeah, that I, I think it's important to tell them where you're at and where the potential is and what, and what you can work on to get to the next level. You know what I mean? And, and I hope people would do the same for me too. You know? Yeah. And, and the thing is never afraid to be honest, never afraid to be honest. Like, uh, I, for a while I was doing, I, I went to, uh, to SCAD a few, a few times to portfolio reviews for the students. And, um, I remember the first time I went there, uh, I think it was in, I went there in 2018 for Editor's Day, and um, I was not—I was like the lesser known of all the editors there. So the first day, I had like probably five, six people in there, yeah. and I started giving like very critical, very detailed, brutally honest reviews. Next day, I had 35 people. The day after, it was <laughs> because they understood the value of it, like. And, and it's funny because again, when I was at Eurostar, I uh, I reconnected with one of the former students named Miss Diana. Shout out to Diana. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when I did our portfolio review at Scan in 2018, I said, "You work suck. Uh, you'll never be an artist, but you're a great editor." And she was pissed, but now she's an editor. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, she, and so she said, "I need you to be 100% on point." Right, and I'm so happy that I'm an editor now. I have a job. I have benefits. It's great. Like I love it. It's it's absolutely you were right from the start. And I'm like, well, I'm glad I was right. I'm not always right. Sometimes mistakes, just like But but I'm glad that in this case, it will help her realize that she had a place in the comic book business. It's just not the one she envisioned at first. Right, and like. Yes. Well, I was going to say the funny. The funny thing is, to, to, to another person, you could say that, and they might suck at that time. But then you may cause them to redouble their efforts and <laughs> and put in some serious. Prove me wrong. Yeah, <laughs> that, that happened to me too. Yeah, yeah, some people that are rejected and they come back two, three years ago, and their work is completely different than that. And now, I'm like, okay, well, now I'm ready to welcome you with open arms. But it's just like sometimes you need a reality check and. At school, you don't always have that because, of course, these schools, they're a little nice with you because you're paying a lot of money every year to be there. So it's just like, I'm not, I'm not judging the system. The system is what it is. I love SCAD. It's a great place to learn. There are great professors there. It's a great environment. But, but at the end of the day, they bring external editors for that. No one is going to be, it's not, it's not a, a, a Disney, uh, it's a small world version of publishing. Publishing is business. And there are a million people who want your job. Right. right. So it's just like, or you're crazy like me and you create your own job. You're like, fuck it. <laughs> whatever people decide, I decide if I stay or not stay in this industry. Nobody's going to tell me what I write or what I draw sucks. I am the only judge of that. And yes, right. sometimes my art sucks, 
and I'll be the first one to admit it, my heart can suck. But when I get it together and I'm focused, um, I get where I want and, and I'm happy. You know, Arthur Adams told me once, uh, he said, um, if you meet an artist that is in love with his art, he's probably not a very good artist. Um, <laughs> you have to go through this phase of rejection. When I draw something, I have an immediate, immediate feeling of rejection. Like right. I, I'm looking at it, I'm like, "This is horrible." And then I show you <laughs> that's actually pretty decent. Why are you so hard on yourself? And I'm like, because I know I can't do better. Right, right. Yeah, and that, and that mindset—that's the mindset. Like that mindset of, of, of humility and striving for, for for to be better is the kind of mindset that I would. So we live in an age where people validate, again, the toxic positivity. There's so much validation that's not genuine that people get the big head and then they're not, they're no longer humble. And meanwhile, they're putting out crap, you know what I mean? Uh, and it's not just writing or, or art. This is in many of uh, all industries, really, where people are honest. So people think that they just put out crap because nobody's telling them that, hey, you're, you can work on We're in a very competitive industry. There are right. like three or 400 comics coming up every week. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a lot, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you stand out? Well, mm-hmm. you have to perform to the best of your ability every exactly. day. Exactly. You have to be a thousand percent every day. You have to be on the edge. You have to keep your mind open. You have to be ready to jump, to, to, to reconfigure yourself, to, to Voltron yourself if you have to, <laughs> so, so, that, so, that, so, that, so that you become a better, a, a better creator, uh, right. so, that you, so that your art or your writing is touching the hearts of and like, people. And again, like, I, will, I will bring my all-time favorite inspiration in life and creation and that is mm-hmm. Prince. <laughs> uh, Prince he, he did 44 albums not counting all the things wow, that's, a, that's, a lot. <laughs> that's a lot but every time he was doing an album he was moving on to the next he, he said it himself he said like I'm when I'm doing an album I make a statement that I move on to the next Right. Yeah. And yeah. and sometimes when by the time you hear his album, you already done recording two or three albums for the next thirty years. And he was like, "That's bold. That's bold yeah. because this guy he doesn't he doesn't let anyone uh, water down his vision." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, and, and I think. The, uh, if I could tell the best quality in a comic book reader or in a creator in general, is to have a vision. Right. The vision for yourself, for what you create, and where you want to be. Like, mm-hmm. you have to manifest things sometimes. Yeah. To make yeah. happen. So, yeah. And, I, and, I, and you have to be very stubborn because, again, that's the nature. So many of us are like giving up. We lost yeah. it to great talents. We lost it to insecurity. We lost mm-hmm. it to the, the, the fact that comic is rough and just make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and a lot of a lot of times, like, and it's unfair. Like sometimes you will have someone 
did barely anything and were getting all the spotlight and all the success. And you keep the QD in the trenches doing your stuff. Well, number one rule, don't be jealous of that person. Keep grinding, keep cheating. Trying to make your own legend. No one is the same. No one's story is going to be the same. Um, you have to keep doing it. You have to keep inspired and be inspired. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's that's, that's good advice all on its own. You know, uh, like I think I'm I think old. I think the, <laughs> I, think the, I think the idea of of, of continuing to. Uh, Continuing to improve yourself, like Prince is a really good example. Of that. I, I really like that you brought Prince up and the fact that he was always ahead, always ahead of the game. You know what I mean? Five uh, ahead of everybody. <laughs> you know, uh, if, you, if you look at how thirty years ago he brought creators' rights to the table, yeah, people thought it was crazy. Right. But now, talk of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's and, about creators' rights. I, I, and, I, and I think it, I think it's important. And he's. I feel like even though we see, he's a legend, you know what I mean? Um, he's a legend, but I'm sure that he saw himself all, as constantly as I'm, 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 I'm doing, I'm doing the next bigger and better thing than this. Oh, that thing that you're hearing now, that's three years old. I'm already on to the next thing that's bigger. Exactly. Than that. I, exactly. I'm, I'm constantly people were like, and it's, it's funny thing, it's a funny thing because, and that's why I identify so much with what he did. It's like mm-hmm. people were like, uh, in the '90s, he stopped playing the hits. Because he changed his name, and so for him it was a different uh, thing. And I mean, only the hardcore fans like myself kept mm-hmm. following and buying the records. And a lot of people were lost, um, <laughs> and, and they were like, "Oh, I'm going to a Prince concert, but never played, didn't play on the plane." <laughs> and, uh, and 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 I can't identify with that because when I get to shows, people are like, "Why are you promoting Spider-Man a lot?" And I'm like. Well, I'm done. Right. Yeah. Done. <laughs> this, this was my first hit, but that was 16 years ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've published five graphic novels since then. Have you read any? No, I didn't even know you had other graphic novels. There you go. So yeah. now we can have a conversation. Yeah. But exactly. but that's the thing. Like, uh, you can't just look in the mirror and, and look at the first hit and say, oh, that was great, that's enough. Yeah. No, that, yeah that will yeah, never be enough. enough. Yeah. That's how that's how that's how I think. That's how I, I, I would hope a lot of I, I want more people who want to do this thing to think like that. Like what's the what's the next thing I could be doing to get better? You know? Um, yeah. even even if you read uh, or watch read mostly in the books uh, Star Wars media I, I, this is kind of a funny metaphor a, a little bit but even in Star Wars Yoda is the oldest Jedi you know, he's the oldest people see him as the most wise whatever but in all of Yoda's stories in every book I've read of Yoda whether it's a comic or his his arc in the Clone Wars series um, everything he's always learning something new and I love that they focus on that well because, you, know, you know what they say and it's actually uh, ancient teaching from Chinese and Japanese cultures. Mm-hmm. To be a good master, you need to be Right. Yeah. 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 And, and that's that's basically Yoda, right? <laughs> and I, and I, I love like that's so it's so fitting for his character. That's why he's he's so good at what he what he does because he's he's always humble, right? You know, he's 
that's why he's so powerful because he's always he's never he has never arrived. It's always what's the next step. You know what I mean? Exactly. What's the next thing to learn? There's always yeah. something to learn. And, 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 you, and you can learn from younger. You can learn from older. You can learn from your neighbor. You can learn from everyone. Right. So exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so really quick, uh, is there is there any last little tidbit of of advice that you would give to creators who want to get in the in the in the comic game, or or uh, maybe people who are already somewhere in the middle of it but haven't completed a book because they're discouraged or whatever okay. whatever whatever level they're at? Do you have any? Stop, stop. Number one, stop looking at the market and thinking, oh, that's the new trend. I should get into it. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Honest. Draw honest. Be you. Remember, talent is not that right. that whatever like if, if you want to write a vampire story and you feel that that vampire story has never been done before do it even if it's not a trend trends mm-hmm. come and go there will always be a time yeah. so that's number one be honest the second thing I would say is never lose focus mm-hmm. keep being focused don't let yourself distract it by other means like, right. it's easy to say, oh, you know, I, I'm doing comics, but actually what I want to do is TV. Mm-hmm. If you want to TV and movies, go there. Go there right. now. Don't stay in comics. If you mm-hmm. only stay in comics if you want to do comics. Right, right. Comics are not a placebo or a bandit. Yeah. Comics are an important, beautiful, strong medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. It, it should not be a, a replacement substitute for anything else. They are their own. So being love with comics as comics. Right, right. Yeah, that's and good. That's, that's good and the third thing is respect yourself. <laughs> Don't let anyone tell you you're shit. Don't let anyone tell you you're the shit. Um, respect yourself respect your craft respect yourself and respect your collaborators when you're a writer honor yourself by sharing your profits with your artist when you're an artist honor yourself by collaborating to the next right again this is a collaborative medium we need to work together yeah. I see yeah. too, too many, too many writers that are not letting any of the rights go to their co-creators. Without artists, there are no books. Right. Without That's writers, crazy, there are no books. It's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's cra- that's crazy to me that uh, the writers. There are writers that think like that, like you know, oh, this is this is mine. I paid you your your bit to do the pages or whatever, and but now this stuff is mine. I have no <laughs> problem with that. Yeah, I have no problem. Let me be clear. I have no problem with work for hire. But if you're yeah, going to yeah. do work for hire, back it up. Right. I'm going to give you an example. I did Lady Bird. I told you I did Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. I wrote the script. I did the character designs. Mm-hmm. I did my character designs and I hired someone to do the interiors. This is work for hire. Okay, yeah, yeah. The designs are mine. 
the the, the writing is fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I own it. And I hired a collaborator to do it. Now, if I'm not drawing my own design mm-hmm. and I have someone else designing the characters for me, exactly. I will yeah. share with them some of the profit that comes from any. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because it's, you know, like me, me, for example, being, I'm not an artist at all and I, I'm not even going to try to pursue it because I'm, I'm just not going to go the art route. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, when it comes to me working with somebody, yeah, I believe like, you know, we, we created this thing together. You know what I mean? Like all these little details. I, I'm not even the, like, I'll, I'll visualize a vague idea for characters, but I'm not the best character. I, I have to work with an artist for that. You know what I mean? It's, you know, they're, they're going to give me the ideas that bring it full form. We, 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 it's, it's collaborative. So you're the co-creator, you know? Um, so and yeah, you I, know, when I was doing Intertwined, uh, that's something that was very important to me. So I said to Fred, I'm strong. I said, we're not going to put written by Fabrice and drawn by Fred. We're going to say Fabrice and Fred's co-creators. 